Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things football, basketball, and recruiting with a new song. By the way, we debuted it last week. People seem to like it. So anyway, we're rocking and rolling, heading toward the tail end of football season, the beginning of basketball season. We just had basketball media day yesterday, so we did get some basketball questions. We are also going to talk about the topics that the football fans want to hear, the offensive line, uh, what, what needs to change what we're looking at heading into this weekend uh, against Rutgers, Uh, even a little bit of recruiting and and some some insight into what could be expected down the road. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, I got a couple off-topic questions. We'll start with with this one from Dayoko, who said, mostly for Steve, and you'll find out it's 100% for Steve, Uh, but feel free to respond. Uh, Favorite planet in Star Fox 64? I, I That's a video game. I, I do know that. I don't know anything else. Steve, what's your favorite? You said it was a good question before the show. What's your What's your favorite planet? I, Isaiah doesn't know. I don't know. Does I didn't know? have a. I didn't have a. I didn't have a Nintendo 64. So okay. I, right. I'll, 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 I'll give my uh, I'll give my thoughts afterwards. So, so. okay. Uh, it's definitely. Zonus, because Zonus is probably the most fun level to play in that game. I also like both of the. I think it's Sector Sector Z, whichever ones where you take on Star Wolf. Also, those are in Fortuna. Those are both really fun levels to play. Zonus is just the most exciting because you get the most uh, kills in it. It's the one you can get the highest score. I mean, I always try to challenge myself, beat the high score. I'm not a big fan of the. Uh, underwater level aquas um solar is a pretty fun level too i think that's kind of an underrated level in the game but uh overall it's got to be zonus and then uh probably fortuna just because i don't ever i don't always take the route that leads you to star fox or uh, to star wolf and uh his crew the second time around so uh that's like the best game ever though i mean i love that game weird i think we were tweeting about peppy uh last week and yeah it's a lot of fun i could have done that all day so um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Zonus, probably my number one. Okay, Isaiah, did you have something to add? I do, and it's just that I, I like I said, I didn't have a Nintendo 64, but I and this so this doesn't pertain to Star Fox 64, but I am excited because I was able to get my hands on one of those Super Nintendo Classic Editions that came out about a month ago, and it comes with both Star Fox and Star Fox 2. And being that I was a Sega Genesis guy back then didn't have the Super Nintendo. I'm super excited once I eventually have time after the season's over to delve into the Star Fox world. That's didn't, all I wanted to add. Didn't you bring it to Penn State, but we couldn't get it to I, work? I did, but the TV was locked, uh, yeah. so we couldn't uh, switch to the HDMI. Yeah, you know how it goes. Anyway. I got one of those, too. <laughs> I got the SNES Classic myself. Okay. So, Earthbound, Super Mario RPG, yeah, those are games that people should play. Okay, I will. I'll, I'll check them out at some point in my life. No, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> anyway, back to sports. Uh, this one comes from Via Azul, who brought always brings a couple questions and obviously gives us that lightning round segment at the end. But this question, not related to any sport in particular, but if you could pick any Michigan coach, past or present, in any sport to sit down and have a beer with, or for Isaiah and O'Doul's, and chat for an hour, who would you pick? Do you guys Do you guys have answers ready? I do. Okay, go ahead. 
Uh, mine is actually a former assistant coach and a very recent one. And it's someone, it's someone that I've, I've had a chance to talk to, do a couple one-on-one interviews with uh, over the course of the last few years. But mine would be former running backs coach Tyrone Wheatley. That guy just has so much knowledge and insight in, into everything Michigan and obviously being a former player at, you know, with the Wolverines. Everything that I, I got to talk to him about you know, during the one-on-ones or – even immediately after, whether it be, you know, con- you know, continually on the record or even a little bit off the record, there, there's so much that he, that he has to say that I, I, it's just you walk away being like, wow, that was really, really cool every single time, and uh, I mean, he's just a, he's just a great dude too. So I, he would be my choice. Yeah, he is the king of being being really fun to talk to away from the press conference and then as soon as the press conference starts he's like it's not useless but not nearly as good of a quote as you would have gotten like two minutes beforehand but i like him steve who do you got uh i think this is one of those questions that people probably overthink things i would i just have to say that i think bo schembechler would probably be who i would talk to um you know just the stories alone. I mean, you hear the stories via other people, you know, and it's kind of funny when you hear, you hear like Brandstad or you hear all these other guys, a lot, if you listen closely enough, they kind of do tell a lot of the same stories. So it'd be interesting to hear from Bo, which stories that he remembers more than the others, you know, which, whether it be a practice story, a game story, whatever, uh, which ones were like, you know, closest to him or the, or his biggest, uh, memories as a whether it was a Michigan coach or uh, at Ohio State or Miami Ohio wherever he was at, you know, I think it'd be I think it'd be pretty interesting. Uh, he'd be my choice. I yeah. don't know if did Kazzy Russell was never the head coach at Michigan basketball. No, no. Okay, because Kazzy Russell would probably be close. So if he, I, I do, I do have a side one there with that is I, I, someone who wasn't a coach but did, was a legendary Michigan basketball player. I did have the fortune. Oh, what was it about? Six years ago, of having uh, having a beer with Rudy Tomjanovich uh, in L.A. Oh, is he good? We were watching. Oh, he was amazing. We were watching the Tigers up uh, Yankees playoff game at Game Five in uh, 2011, and and you know he obviously talked about Michigan quite a bit, and he's another just great dude. Yeah, I I I, mean, I was thinking about this. I was like, I was the people that Steve criticized. I overthought it because you know the the thing is like a lot of coaches are very reserved and kind of grizzly in general. I, I agree. I think Bo would be a really fun one, especially if he was going to open up and tell you his side of some of these stories. Cause you just hear about these, you know, legendary instances and like, you know, there's just, I mean, it, it's still today. I mean, they keep his mottos, the team and those who stay, they, they keep them in the stadium all game long. They keep playing it. So, so no, he's clearly a legend. Red Berenson was on my list. Uh, but I, oh, he's yeah. almost like he's almost like too, because I've had I mean I've ta- I talked to him one on one every time I interviewed him and like he's oh, almost God. like like he'll tell you stories but like I don't know if he's gonna he he's like too intense almost so my I, I'll go I'll throw some wild cards out there I've got two that I I I talk to pretty regularly and I think I would I think I would have a good time like Eric Backich, uh is on my list because he. Apparently, he and I are very similar that we eat a ton of food and we eat it in, in, in exceptional speed. And I assume drinking would be the similar boat. Uh, he's younger. He's he's a kooky character. I mean, 
David Price was telling telling a former writing colleague of mine about how he would like you know just swallow Snickers bars whole and then or like eat them and spit them out and like he was always doing like inverted chin-ups in in the locker rooms and just a just a goofy guy I remember when they won the Big 10 tournament title uh in 2000 what 15 and I was there and like he was just he just like couldn't stop head first sliding everywhere and like he was just this you know it was it was raining and everything so he seems like a funny guy and then I think Carol Hutchins uh because I think she's got she's got some cool stories and she she seems like someone I would like to hang out with drives a convertible takes her golden retriever everywhere uh really loves being by the water and the sunshine and like I don't know I think she's that's that's my kind of setup uh and and obviously in her 33 years of coaching Michigan she's got some stories uh, and, and and if you ever talk to her, she's always, I mean, she's, you know, obviously on edge. Most coaches are, but they they pick up some interesting, uh, really cool stories over the years. So that's, those are probably my choices. Anyway, let's talk some basketball. Uh, I got a couple of them. I was at two open practices the past couple of days. You can check the, the notes from that out at michigan.247sports.com. Uh, obviously, we'll have tons of media coverage coming up and now the basketball season's here they play November 3rd is their exhibition November 11th is their season opener and anyway NW Playa 69 great uh asks what would you consider the ceiling for Charles Matthews does he have first team all Big Ten talent or even possibly Big Ten player of the year also what would you consider his floor who do you guys uh so so we'll start with a Charles Matthews he had a couple other questions and regarding Matthews there I don't know that there has been a player because every every redshirt player gets hyped up. Oh, they're our top rebounder. Oh, they're top defender in practice. I don't know of one that has been this hyped up. I mean, Beeline is not a a uh, you know used car salesman type coach. You know, he's not going to go out there and just sell sell you on everybody and say, oh, you know, he's got potential for this. But like, he's pretty conservative when it comes to that. Yet when he talks about Matthews, he, he directly compares him to Glenn Robinson. To Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, he, I even got, he even threw in a Karis LeVert comparison the other day, and it's just it's I and he said that he's the most might be the most athletic player Michigan has had, and this buildup I think is getting really really high, and I know I had it pretty high. I kind of thought he might be the second best player on this team behind Mo Wagner, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna fan the flames a little bit, and because I seen him at open practice, uh, he is. Definitely the team's best rebounder. I think he's right behind Xavier Simpson as the team's best defender. But I don't know that his offense is going to be an instant hit with Michigan. I think he's still trying to figure out how to operate because one thing, you know, Glenn, Nick Stauskas, Hardaway, Karis LeVert, one thing they all did at the wing is they shot threes. Charles Matthews, it's getting there, but he still has a ways to go before he's shooting threes. He's more of a Sneaker squeak, get it into the paint, you know, get a layup, get a dunk. Uh, they were telling stories yesterday about how he dunked on Eli Brooks pretty hard on one of the first or second days of practice. But he clearly has game. I just, I, I still, I need to see them play probably a real opponent before I can determine if it's going to be, uh, you know, eight points a game. I assume, I think he'll average double figures. Uh, but you know, if he's going to be like 15, 16. Uh, he has he has he has a ways to go in getting acclimated with Michigan's offense. Uh, 
So ceiling, I think probably for this season, I mean, I guess ceiling can be as high as you want it to be with, with Michigan. I mean, players with less talent have done more in, in less time. Uh, looking at DJ Wilson, Nick Stauskas, you know, guys come out of nowhere. But my my soft ceiling would probably be second team all Big Ten. I think the Big Ten's got some pretty good basketball players. You know, Miles Bridges comes to mind this season that, that probably are going to snag those awards. I don't think he's coming out of nowhere and is averaging 17 points, you know, and seven rebounds or anything. I, I But I think his floor is probably Michigan's fourth best player on offense and defense i mean i think his defense is going to make sure he gets a lot of minutes his athleticism athleticism is going to make sure that he gets a lot of shots so i think his floor is probably like a eight points a game you know maybe maybe shoots poorly like shoots 40 percent or something and maybe they stop going to him as often but i don't i don't think he's gonna be i think he's a pretty safe bet to be good it's just a matter of is he going to be the number two scorer or not? And that kind of leads us to our second question. Uh, who do you guys expect to be to break out or perform very well in the basketball team this year that may not have performed that well last season? So we can take Mo Wagner out of the equation. It can probably take Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, Duncan Robinson out of the equation. I got asked this morning, who, who do I think the second best player on the team is? I said Muhammad and then Duncan's third. Based on what I've seen, I think experience actually has some weight. And Steve, I'm curious also for you on a breakout player because I, I, you know, this point, this three-member point guard battle, kind of throws off this question, but I kind of think it might be Xavier Simpson. I, I'm just looking at it and trying to juggle and see who who stood out in these scrimmages, and he's someone. I mean, he does not turn the ball over. He plays really good defense. That's. I mean, he's gonna. I. Th- I personally, I think he might start. You know, I think I think he might be the starter for this team and the point guard and kind of the go-to guy. And I think he's going to get enough chances. I mean, I don't think he's going to be busting out a Derek Walton senior year type season. But as far as guys who were not key players last season, who become key players and guys who win basketball games, I think it's going to be him. But we've heard really good things about Eli Brooks. We've heard good things about Jerron Simmons. And then, you know, they also have pretty good freshmen, Isaiah Livers and Jordan Poole. Uh, Austin Davis, we don't know. John Teske, 7-1. That's, I mean, if he can figure things out, he, his potential is pretty sky high. So, Steve, I mean, when you when you look and, and you know, keep, keep tabs on everybody, I mean, is there anyone that's on your list? Because I think Simpson might be mine outside of those top three guys. Uh, but who's who's standing out on your list? I was gonna I was gonna say Simpson too, but just because of what we already talked about with with Matthews, as far as he's he's gonna be on the floor a lot because he can play defense, and you know Simpson best on ball defender. It sounds like uh, just a, again yep. to me, it's just a matter of what they value because I'm I'm interested to see what an offense run by Simmons will be like because man Duncan might get a lot of open shots this year between Matthews and Simmons with their ability to get in the lane is something that. I feel like Michigan has lacked as far as on a consistent basis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, until at least last year, you know, it wasn't until geez, what 80% into the season where Walton finally seemed to, and that's when he turned it on is when he finally seemed to be able to, you know, get into the lane and, uh, you know, get some, get some offense for himself, but also create some offense for other guys. So, you know, to me, it's just what about what they value. 
uh, I would think, you know, you already got Wagner out there. You got Duncan. You got Marr. Uh, I think those guys can, can put the ball in the basket. I, I would probably lean towards Simpson myself, actually. Okay. Um, Eli Brooks, too, though. I mean, that's like even when he committed, uh, you know, when I talked to him for had a really good conversation with him, he's a really interesting kid. Basically, said like I play a Euro style basketball, uh, and and said that the coaches were adamant with him that they see him as somebody who could play right away. And then you see, you hear, you know, I think it was John Rothstein at CBS was had made a comment about Eli Brooks and yeah. really impressing them early. Well, on the next day they had Big Ten media days, and they asked all three players, you know, who stood out in practice, and all three of them said basically without blinking, Eli Brooks. Right. So. It sounds like he's kind of on the progression the coaches may have already thought he was capable of being on. So, you know, it'd be I personally think it'd be nice for them if it was a forward or a, or a big man, but I I still have to lean towards one of the two guards and in, in Brooks or Simpson for sure. Yeah, it's just a just a real quick note cuz I did see Brooks a uh, little. He did not blow me away in the first open practice. I thought, you know, there were some you can tell he's athletic and you can tell he sh- can shoot and he's really quick. I think this team is going to be, I don't know if the tempo is going to be fast, but the overall athleticism is way faster than the Michigan teams I'm used to seeing. Uh, and he's he's a big part of that. And he, But he, he does have some turnovers. I think it sounds like they initially were looking at him as weird as it is because they have Abdurrahman and they have Poole. Uh, it's, it's, I was talking to him yesterday. He said he started out at 75% at the two. Uh, you know the uh, the shooting guard, and then now he's down to fifty percent. So I almost wonder if he's just gonna kind of be almost a Muhammad Ali Abdul Rockman, where he'll handle point guard, he'll take the ball up the court, you know, when needed. But he might just be out there for his offense, and then you keep Simmons and uh, Simpson out there for his defense, and Simmons uh, because of maybe his game experience. And I mean, he's you can tell just talking to him. I mean, he's just. He's a very seasoned veteran. You know, you can tell he's he's not going to be rattled, you know, at at Assembly Hall or at the Breslin when the crowd gets going. He's going to be pretty calm and um, be able to weather that storm. So yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see how all three play. I think my my backup candidate for back uh, for breakout player would probably be Teske, uh, which brings us to our next question. Another one from Via Azul. He says, Beeline has always talked about preferring a seven- or eight-man rotation for his teams with Wagner, Robinson, Abdurrahman, Matthews, Simmons, and Simpson locks for the rotation. Who do you think will emerge for the final two spots between Davis, Teske, Watson, Poole, Brooks, and Livers? Which is kind of an interesting question because when I look at them at practice, I mean, I, I almost would say all 12 scholarship players are game ready now everyone can look game ready in a practice i'm not certainly certainly don't see them all in their bad days or when they really need to separate the players but i talking to beeline it does sound like he might be more inclined for a nine or ten man rotation obviously you want players to emerge from from the fray and and you know kind of force more minutes than other people and and they've got three guys. I think that they're going to play. They're going to try to play 30 minutes or more in Wagner, Robinson, and uh, Abdul Rockman. But between those six other guys, I think Brooks is going to be really hard to stay, keep off the floor. 
you know, his athleticism, he can shoot better than anyone expected. I think I think he's going to have have a good opportunity. Uh and then center, center I almost think of in a different category because you know, last season they had Donnell, which was which was a benefit, but normally it's going to be Mo Wagner and whoever the hot hand is. I mean, Beeline almost always goes with three centers now that he's in that point where he has that ability to do so. You know, back when it was Jordan Morgan was your best center, that's a different scenario. But not not to knock Jordan Morgan, but like they didn't have these constant three or four star recruits coming in that were were ready to play. So I I think Teske and Davis will be in that rotation. Probably more Teske. I thought he looked really good in the scrimmage that we saw. Uh, he looks a lot faster. Uh, not to I mean I I know I could say that probably for a lot of different players, but. He just looks a little bit less like a like a tree out there and more like a seven one basketball player. Uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. Uh, but he and Davis can both shoot. Uh, looks like they're getting a lot better at defense. Rebounding is probably still a concern if Matthews is your best rebounder. But obviously they're going to play. Mo Wagner's not going to he's not going to play thirty five minutes a game. It's probably going to be closer to twenty eight. So they'll need to play. I think Brooks will be hard to keep off the floor and then. Someone between Watson, Poole, and Livers, that to me is the big uh, test for what Michigan's going to be this season because, you know, you, you need probably need one of the three, and I know Livers plays a different position than the other two, and Jordan Poole's more of a two two guard, Watson's more of a three, Livers is more of a four, but, you know, with Duncan Robinson and Charles Matthews, uh, you can you can move those two parts around if someone else is looking good, so... If one of the three can emerge, and based on what I saw in practice, I think Livers might be the most like he has a he has a couple really good moments, and he has a nose for rebounding as well. Uh, and I think I think you know if he can shore up some of the turnovers, uh, maybe improve his shooting a little bit more, I think he can be really lethal in year one. Um, he obviously his potential is even higher than that. And then Jordan Poole. I, I'd have to I'd have to look at him and Watson a little bit more. Um, they they can shoot, they're fast, they're athletic, they're good bodies. I just don't know how they operate in this offense and how good their defense has has progressed. I mean, judging someone's defense in practice is kind of like judging how hard a player hits in practice. Like they're obviously not going to go all out against their teammate. Um, so yeah, I think I think you can count on Brooks. I think you can count on Davis and Teske to play. Maybe they might play like eight minutes a game. And then if I was guessing now, Livers, but I could very much see, I mean, maybe Watson bulked up like crazy. Uh, Jordan Poole was the top recruit in the 2017 class. Uh, so so they both have a lot, will have a lot of opportunities to play. Uh, I th- honestly think like even into November and December, they might be going with, a nine-man rotation. Now the top four guys will play a lot more, but I I don't think that they're gonna have a you know two-sub kind of deal here. I think that they they want everyone to have a viable backup in case they run into foul trouble. That cost them probably three or four games last season, not having a, a legitimate game-ready backup for Mark Donnell, Mo Wagner. You know, if Derek Walton got hurt, you know, all credit to Xavier, but you know he wasn't quite ready. Uh, same with Abdurrahman. They didn't have necessarily a guy that could come in and do that. You know, Zach Irvin. I mean, he shot. He was. He's clearly off at Michigan State, but they didn't have anyone that they could 
put in there to to help save things for him. He had to play 38 game 38 minutes even though he didn't score a single point. So I think that they do want to have backups at every single position. Uh and and I already mentioned who I think will be guys who will be wedging their way into the uh into the lineup even if it's at different positions. Anyway, that's enough basketball talk for now. Uh, well, Steve, did you have anything to add? No, I think you covered it all and then some. Okay, there, there we go. Anyway, speaking of Steve, we got some recruiting updates. Mustafa Muhammad, the tight end, what is he, 109 in the 24-7 composite. Uh, seems like, I mean, they, they needed, they've been looking for tight ends. They got one. I think this one was, uh, I I mean, I'll let Steve handle it, but it seemed like this was kind of coming for a long time. He had like 26 crystal ball predictions to Michigan. Uh, Steve, what does he bring to the team? And, and you know, you've written about it, but having sat on it for a few days because he committed a few days ago, uh, what what still resonates with you on, on what, what his commitment means for Michigan? Uh, I think it's one of their five or six biggest verbals under Harbaugh. Uh, of course, it's not going to be looked at that way because Mustafa fits the well, he was a lock for so long, so he finally committed and it's not really that exciting uh, type thing where people just don't understand the impact of a big commitment just because the guy was kind of considered a lock for so long. Uh, sort of the Drew Singleton award uh, from last cycle. So uh, Mustafa was a guy that immediately uh, it was either he or Jeremy Ruckert were the two top targets at tight end. But Mustafa really, you know, they didn't pick things up with Ruckert for a little bit. It didn't take that long, uh, not long enough to hurt their chances, but a little bit longer. Mustafa was like number one from the beginning. So, you know, I mean, going into this cycle, tight end was probably the number one, number two position of need, and they got their number one target at the position. So I don't know how much better you could do than that uh, as far as that goes. Uh my biggest thing with him is he's actually gotten a lot bigger this year. Uh, he's was sort of a, I don't want to say funchess, but sort of though, a guy that was a little bit, you know, a guy that would have taken a little bit to put some weight on. So it's a good bigger. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, but he's got, but he's put on some good weight though. And uh, I, again, I, you know, I, it's, there's been no rhyme or reason to how they play these young guys in my opinion. So I, you know, I look at him as a guy who could easily play it a year one as a year one guy but at the same time you know they bring back everybody at tight end next year so I don't know if they're going to acclimate him you know for a year prep him or whatever but um definitely their best tight end commitment on paper that they've gotten under Harbaugh for sure and a guy who's got a higher ceiling than anybody else they've recruited there so uh, I oh, think it's okay. a really sick yeah definitely oh yeah I mean again like I said uh you know he was their number one target at the position, you know, just because he was projected to Michigan for six months doesn't mean that it's still not a huge commitment for them. So, uh, so yeah, good, good addition. You know, we'll see if they try to take a third. I think Tommy Tremble, I think that relationship was short lived. It sounds like he'll probably eventually end up at Notre Dame uh, as the Irish have all of a sudden grown into a big thorn in Michigan's side on the recruiting <laughs> trail. Uh, yeah. I, well, you know, between well, yeah, Notre he thought Dame it was a hot seat, and now it's the place right. to be. Yeah, Right. Between Notre Dame and Georgia, it's about a worst-case scenario for Michigan as far as those two teams like really turning it around are really hurting Michigan in some individual races, but just in the bigger picture, uh, you know, with some guys I think that 
they normally would have felt pretty good about. So, but no, Mustafa, I mean, it's a big, maybe their biggest verbal of this cycle so far, really, to be honest with you, uh, huh, outside okay. of, outside of maybe Reese, probably just because they beat Georgia. Uh, we'll again, we'll see how that one finishes out, but, <laughs> uh, probably the biggest verbal that they've gotten so far this cycle. Okay. Okay. And then some other recruiting news, the running back from St. Louis, the three-star Hassan Haskins visiting this weekend has a bajillion crystal ball predictions to Michigan. Uh, what do you, what do you expect from this weekend? And also what, what kind of player is he? I know he's a, a three-star and you know, your stargazing readers are going to gripe about where the five-star running backs are, but what is what does he bring that has Michigan so interested in him? So Alan Triu uh, made a really good comparison for him, in my opinion. Compared him to like a Le'Veon Bell style running back, uh, I think that's a pretty solid spot on look. Again, I'm not, you know, people hear that and they think, well, you're saying he's going to be the next Le'Veon Bell. No, that's not what's being said at all. It's being said that his running style is similar whether he can capitalize on that in, in the, at the college level or if it acclimates well, we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as Michigan's going to take him, then that's where he's going to go, I think, and, and it could happen this weekend. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, he kind of fits, yeah, he really fits the mold of this class as an under-ranked under or a lowly-ranked guy that uh, Michigan sat on for a while. I think it was, was it Isaiah. Did you report that, Isaiah? Somebody reported that about – I don't think I actually ever said it, but that was something that uh, I had been hearing. He's a guy that Michigan really, really liked him early on, and they just kind of wanted to hold out, since he, especially since he was a more lowly rated guy before they pulled the trigger because they just didn't want his recruiting profile to blow up because they see him as being one of the top running backs in the country. Right, and then so they gave him kind of the Sean McCune treatment because that's what they did with McCune where they were – afraid to offer him too early because they thought he would blow up. Um, so they kind of held off offering him for a little while, which it's a smart strategy unless you, you know, unless the kid feels like he got alienated, you know, he could have gotten 10 more scholarships if Michigan had offered him when they originally wanted to. But uh, yeah, he kind of adds to that, that what this type of class is uh, as a class where there's a, a lot of high ceiling guys, but a lot of raw un, untapped potential with a lot of these prospects. Again, between the 16 and 17 class, I think Michigan feels like they have their foundation. So it's not a surprise to me to see him go this route with a few guys. Uh, you know, I know that's hard for people to digest when, especially offensively when they're struggling the way they are, but it's more of a big picture thing here. So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, Haskins was one of the easier crystal ball picks I've had to make in a while. It was just a matter of, you know, learning right away whether or not he was a guy that they would take. Um, that's the case. So could end this weekend. wouldn't surprise me, like I said. Okay. Well, we'll keep our eyes and ears open for that. Anyway, let's talk about this this current football team playing Rutgers. Uh, we got a quick question from Justin saying 812. Says, was that play action out of that I formation on 4th and 11 the worst play call ever Isaiah we haven't heard from you in a while so I mean obviously this is more of a you know quick kind of silly question but uh what do you I mean is there an explanation for that I know you talked to Drevno yesterday and and some of these other play calls I mean what else has stood out to you about this play calling 
Well, to me, that, that play call signified that they were trying to figure out some way to try to keep the defense from teeing off uh, on John O'Corn, which they did anyway. So yeah. I, it, it's, it's not it's not ideal, but, I, you know, you, you, you look at, you know, the issues up front and everything, it's they, they're trying to find ways to keep the defense a little bit more honest, even if it's obvious that they're, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, I think if they weren't in a dire situation, they very well could have run the ball there, much like they did against Florida, what they called the off-schedule run. But it, you know, they are in a huge hole. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make sense on the face of it, considering you know you're, you know you're you know you're they're not going to run the ball down a bunch of points on fourth down. But at the same time, they, considering the issues that they have up front, the protection issues, which is to me the biggest issue facing this Michigan team then you know they have to try to find some way to to maybe fool a defense at least slightly just enough to give O'Corn a second and you know it didn't work obviously right. but I, I i don't hate it as much as some others might might hate it but i mean there's a lot of other issues with the play calling that i have you know just the fact that they have a lot in their arsenal that they just seem to re- refuse to use or even they just seem to not want to run counters off of plays that they run all the time. Like I still don't understand why they don't run play action off of the jet sweep, why they don't try to do the jet sweep more, run a little bit more misdirection, at least try to get linebackers <laughs> going the opposite way, you know, and then, you know, run, you know, pull it, you know, make the play call, even if it is a passing play, go the other way. I just don't really understand why they don't use some things that to me seem like simple ways to kind of negate a lot of the pressure issues that they have. Yeah, no, I agree. They, they're playing like they have Alabama's offensive line, which they do not. No, and <laughs> I, I know that they're trying to establish something. You know, they're trying to, you know, I guess it's the idea that you try to get the fundamentals of, you know, the basic tenets of what they're trying to do down before they start to do other things. But time's running short, so it's kind of like what point do you – you know, obviously it's not working what they're doing. Yeah. So change it because I understand you want to get these guys to be good at what your essentially what your offense is, what your bread and butter is. But you have things that you can do that are similar. That yeah, maybe you didn't do it in camp, which does present an issue because essentially, for you know, speaking to the novice out there, the way it works is you install everything in camp and then you bring it. You know, you bring the things that you've already run back out. Uh, when it comes game week, you know, something might lay dormant on, you know, for 11 weeks, but there's still already a thing that's been installed from before. So I understand you don't want to go away from that, but you got to try to find some way to do exactly that because (laughs) it's what, you know, what you, what you planned in the beginning of the season isn't working. So figure out a different way. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, I mean, just to respond to Justin's question, I think the worst thing that they've done, and I get why they do it, so I won't say it's like this mind-boggling dumb decision, but the the fades in the red zone, I don't know, it's almost like become a pet peeve of mine because it just, it you know, I, I when I played football, when I play Madden now, you don't do fades in the red zone. You get people going over the middle of the field. You get... Guys in routes that per- require a little more separation, you know, and I, I understand that their, you know, their their method is okay. It's either going to be a catch, 
or a sideline out of bounds incompletion. We're not going to do an interception. And I get the rationale, but I mean, my goodness, they haven't even, they, you know, when they try the other stuff, it seems to work. So I don't know why they keep doing red zone fades. I think it costs them a, the game against Michigan State. I think it, it costs them uh, a easier opportunity against Indiana. I think it cost them a few points, left a few points on the board against Cincinnati and Air Force. So it it just it doesn't quite make sense. That's my, I mean, because like you know one one play action. I mean it's kind of like when Michigan kept passing in the in the monsoon against Michigan State. Like yeah, it doesn't make sense, but like maybe you catch them off guard. You know maybe you just try try a desperation thing here. But ugh, I don't know. Anyway. Speaking of this offense, and, and Isaiah, I think you, you, you alluded to it, that the biggest problem with the offense is this offensive line. Uh, it is bafflingly bad. They're on track to set a school record in sacks allowed, an unofficial school record. They have not allowed this, as many sacks as they're on pace to, which is 43. They've not allowed that many since 2004, and I don't think that they allowed many in the Lloyd Carr, Gary Moeller, Bo Schembechler era. So I'm calling it an unofficial school record is what they're on pace for. They're like 115th in the country in sacks allowed, 100 some, somewhere in that category for tackles for loss allowed. And Steve, we're, you were you were getting getting into this before the show. I mean, year three, and it's still like this. I get that they had small numbers to work with, especially this spring, but um, what... What is going on with this offensive line, and I guess in your eyes, what needs to change? I mean, uh, what needs to change? I'm I just, kind of the million dollar question. But in year three, you look at the statistics. Yeah, pass protection, um, running game against legitimate teams. I mean, once again, here we are. You know, Penn State, Michigan State, the two. You know, with Florida looking the way they have, probably the two most legitimate teams Michigan's faced this year, and the offensive line doesn't just not perform well, but they just lay a complete egg. Um, it's been the Achilles heel of this program for I don't know how long now. Uh, Decade, yeah. Yeah, and, and really there's no – we're not even seeing – I mean, Michael Onwen who's played okay for the most part. He's had his bumps, you know, his ups and downs, but there's some some hope there. I think the same with Ben Bredesen. Uh, you know, Cole won't be there next year, so you're pretty much, you know, wasting his senior season with this poor play from the unit. I I, I think it's, I mean, but as a unit as a whole, inexcusable at, in year three to be this bad, this poor. Uh, I again, yeah, we talked, you know, the, the personnel, maybe a little bit of an issue there, but even then, like, to not have somebody ready particularly at right tackle uh you know is the, the spot we keep harping on to see them put you lizio back out there again on saturday i i don't know i mean they must not feel like they have the answer either because you'd think they'd put somebody else back there um neither of those neither you lizio or bushel Beatty look prepared they don't look talented I, i'm tra- not trying to be too harsh here but i mean yeah you're talking about like you said, a possible school record of sacks allowed. And this is in Harbaugh's third season. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of young talent coming up, obviously. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, 
they, they did the same thing last year with three seniors. None of them got drafted, but they did the same thing. They laid a huge egg in their three biggest games of the year. Uh, well, I don't know, but they still didn't play great against Michigan State last year. But, you know, I don't know if Iowa is one of their three biggest games. But you get what I'm saying? They're three yep, losses. Yep, they had three. They, t- three they, they laid three eggs, and it cost yeah. them all of their goals. Three, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's, you know, you try not to put it on one unit. I know Jay Chesson could have, you know, caught a pass against Iowa, would have won that game or whatever. But really, it came down to one thing: they couldn't run the football and get one more first down with the five that they had of their offensive line unit. So, um, you know, I, I'd say this: I, you know, it's we talk about the growing pains. We know Michigan lost a lot of good players last year. You know, with a lot of them, you know, playing and performing well in the NFL in their rookie seasons. But do you see the? offensive coaching at this standpoint you you should still be able to see some tangible signs that the coaching is is really effective and with Michigan under Harbaugh the goal is Big Ten and national championships not really seeing play calling or execution up front on the offensive line that would give fans a ton of hope uh, that those are feasible goals you'll think about what they're doing this year on the offensive line you know, we're talking about a lot of youth coming up. You got Filiaga, you got Stuber, you got Honigford, you got Hall, yeah. uh, Ruiz. But is you know, people keep pointing now towards next year is a year that Michigan, you know, they'll bring back everybody on defense. These receivers and tight ends will have another year under their belt. Don't have Mason They're Cole. Have, right. <laughs> well they might yeah, it might be what, at least probably three new starters at least on the offensive line. Yeah, you think you're gonna win. Yeah, you know. Well, and we'll see what Grant Newsom does, though. Too, I guess you could kind of call him a returner, provided he comes back healthy. But, um, you know, you under- you guys know what I'm getting at here. Yeah, it's absolutely. Just, it's gonna think- be it's gonna be another young offensive line. You don't you're not gonna probably have a senior. If you have a senior, it'll be Bishop Beatty, who, based on Penn State, probably means that their freshman did not develop the way that they had hoped. That's what I'm, that, exactly. So. You're either going to run out a, a really green player to begin on both tackles. Again, we'll see what happens with Grant. I I have a good hunch that he'll he'll be able to make it back and that he'll be effective again. But it's but, a it's a stretch right now. You can't say right, it with certain, confidence. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you have to go on a hunch. Um, but you know, big picture wise, I think there's some legit concern. Um, and the fact that you're getting your butt handed to you on the road and you you don't throw your young quarterback out there to get a few series in. I, I personally, I trust the, I, I really though, this is one spot. I do trust the staff and the way they've handled the quarterback situation for the most part. The one thing though was this weekend where you got to get him a few series and see what he's got. You can't, you know, unless he's way behind schedule, which I mean, for all we know, it could be the case, but you have a senior quarterback out there. They're getting their butts kicked. He, he there's no, you know, there's yeah, no the game through there. The game's over. Right. To not get him in like halfway through the fourth quarter and just, you know, in, in a road environment against a good defense, like to just give him a few series. Um, the only thing I can think of is that they don't trust their offensive line enough to keep him healthy. Keep him he- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's the only rational explanation I can come up with that he has not played a snap yet. Again, I'm not, I'm not the one or the type sitting here saying he should be starting, but there's, you know, unless that's the case, which again we've seen, we're, could very well be. 
I just don't see how you don't get him in for a few series, though. Get his feet wet. Um, you know what? You're gonna, you're gonna. What's the difference between giving him some series now or giving him some legit time now, or or saying that he needs more development and then his first game next year is on the road at Notre Dame against what now looks like a formidable Irish defense and program? You know, like what's like with two new tackles, you know, trying to protect him. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of concern offensively. I mean, it's kind of ob- it's obvious there is, but I'm mm-hmm. like even looking more long term and saying, you know, no, we're not seeing any slants, easy slants for the receivers. We're not seeing that we. I don't know how many more times we could talk about get Chris Evans involved in the passing game somehow, like, you know, or or, uh, you know, I'm not big on the Kareem Walker stuff. I I trust that that he's behind the other guys still. I don't, I don't think one 11 yard run against Indiana means we should be like writing novels about why Kareem Walker should be getting playing time, especially with Higdon emerging the way he has. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's again, short term and long term. I think there's some real concern about what they're capable of offensively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we got into the debate on the show this week about it, that it's like, okay, you're probably going to have, three or four underclassmen, well, three underclassmen playing next season, too, on the offensive line. And then it's just going to be this cycle. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if Michigan's going to do anything until it, until it has a line. You know, it, it doesn't have to be the best offensive line. We saw Penn State and Ohio State. They have successful seasons without the Big Ten's best offensive line. But it, it needs to be, I think if Michigan wants to play this style of football, I think it needs to be a better offensive line. Uh, no doubt, Isaiah. You have you heard any? I know. I know you mentioned in a in a note this week about the protection issues, and you know, have you heard anything about changes or maybe what Michigan is diagnosing as the problem with the offensive line? I mean, I think youth can can go a little far, and and I, I noted you know the counter to some of the points Steve was making is like this season is kind of a transitional year. The way you know that is that guys like Patrick Kugler and Juwan Bushel-Beatty who were backups and quite frankly had kind of been labeled backups uh, are are out there starting. But I mean, have you heard anything about what, what is causing the offensive line to be exactly this bad? I mean, yeah, it's just a matter of they're seeing what they need to see in practice in the sense that they're, you know, and this is what I wrote basically they're, they're teaching these guys, like, here's, you know, when you see a defense that looks like this, here's what you need to do. Here's the guy you need to address, and here's how you do it. And they hammer that point home, and they're like, all right, we feel good. And then they go into a game, and the opposite happens. And, I, you know, like I said, that they, you know, the, the coaches are kind of perplexed about it because – they they feel like they've done their part, and I know you, you keep on hearing like, oh, if they've done their part, then why aren't they you know doing it better? Well, it falls it, yeah, blame I, is I, on everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I don't I don't know what you do in that case either. If if you know you sit there and and you know ask somebody a question over and over again, you know what's two plus two? It's four. All right, what's two? You know, just to double check. What's two plus two? Oh, it's four. All right, here's the test. What's two plus two? Seven. Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> what else, What do you do in that instance? I'm not really sure. The, the coaches clearly have to do something to try to figure out how to 
get that to work. And the same goes for both the running backs and the right side of the offensive line in that light. Like the, mm-hmm. they're both very culpable in that. Uh, you know, like the one one thing I wrote about was the the forced fumble. Michigan felt like they were you know they were behind obviously I think by two scores at this point with the forced fumble, you know when the fumble was forced on the offense and. And Karan Higdon was in, and he, by all accounts, had looked a bit better in pass protection until this game, and and just whiffed on a guy who was able to just come in and and get the get the strips uh, right, you know, real quick. And the thing of it of it is, is from what I was told, they they saw exactly what the lineup was, and you know the coaches. We're like, all right, well, we know what this is. Karan knows what this is. We've practiced this. And then he just whiffs. So those are issues that they just have to find a way to shore up. I I understand it's really difficult. Like they've talked about, uh, Ty Isaac said this week, how learning pass protection from a running back standpoint is the hardest thing for running back. But they've got to figure out something because whatever they're doing – obviously is not working right this team would be in a completely different spot if it wasn't for that I mean most likely I mean you're, you're still playing with and I think O'Corn actually had a pretty a pretty decent game considering everything uh, against Penn State but you're still playing with a backup quarterback you know I know people on mass were not happy with Wilton Spate but you can see the difference even statistically mm-hmm. from, yeah. from Wilton's few games to you know, what we've seen from O'Corn with the exception of one half against Purdue. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of that can be attributed to a, his escapability and B the fact that they didn't, Purdue didn't exactly have, you know, film on no corn either. So you can kind of get caught out off guard with something like that. Yeah. And you know, I, I think I would be curious to see what I, well, I'm curious of a lot of things regarding this offensive line because something, I mean, they, they bring in, top 100 recruits Brady Hoke did it and Jim Harbaugh did it and Rich Rodriguez did it and it's like and I get you know we've talked about it on this show that the projecting offensive line recruits isn't there but their miss rate is is bafflingly high and then right now they're kind of in a spot where they just don't have I mean they they barely had enough scholarship offensive linemen to run a scrimmage uh in in the spring game you know in, in the spring but yeah I I'd almost say it's like I would be very curious what Wisconsin does with its workouts, with its practices that Michigan doesn't do. Uh, and as Steve said, I mean, that's kind of the million dollar question, because if you can figure that out, it's probably worth more than a million dollars because suddenly Michigan's winning some titles and, and is in a lot of playoff conversations. Anyway, moving moving toward Rutgers. Uh, one, what, can I say one last thing? Yeah, go ahead. Isaiah talked about the two plus two stuff. If the players are still answering seven on you know during the game, that's still on the coaching to a big extent, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. Um so that's 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 where I'm saying where it's hard to really you know, again, Harbaugh's getting I'm not that I'm not trying to be that guy, I promise. Because I I'm I'm not pessimistic on the long term success of the program. But at the same time, I don't look at one thing offensively right now and say that they're doing it at a at a national championship level. And that, in, what I mean by that is, that includes the play calling. Yeah. That includes the coaching. You know, and that's 
that's the standard here now. That's the standard that's been set. I'm not even at Big Ten championship high. level. Right, exactly. You know, well, yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, I just, I don't, you know, when you talk about the recruiting, absolutely. I still think to this day, I still think the bus, complete and absolute bust of 2000, the 2013 offensive line class. <laughs> what it's, no, but I think it's been the primary factor behind their struggles offensively for the yeah. last two, at the offensive line for the last two or three years because none of those guys outside of Kugler finally who start off well, but it's been, I think he's probably played, we'll say like average football right. over the last three or four weeks. Um, they got literally nothing out of any of the other five guys they recruited, four of which were top 150, can't-miss prospects. Uh, Dan Samuelson, one of the worst recruiting decisions that I can ever remember uh, on Michigan's part. I know but yeah, Kyle Bosch, David Dawson, uh, Chris Fox. You know, some of, you know, yeah, I was just working Fox, down the list. Fox got hurt. You can't right. much about what happened with him. Well, it was a curse. Three, that was the thing. Is that, right, yeah. Right. The other three, though, to get – you know, it's one thing if they come in, maybe they don't play all Big Ten, all American ball, but they didn't get one reliable starter out of any of those three guys. Or, again, Samuelson, who, I, again, like, <laughs> sorry, Dan, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not, but uh, still can't figure out what Michigan was thinking with that one. So, um, and with Ethan Pochich pretty much turning into a stud at LSU, um, Michigan told him no. Oh my gosh! Much. Just to—it's a little off topic, but I'm looking at this 2013 class. It is, it is. There are a lot of misses. Um, oh yeah. A lot of guys. A oh, yeah. lot of guys we never even saw, and obviously like guys like Derek Green. But you know, you saw. I mean, see the positions where things are going well. They had good players in that 2013 class. The you know Mike McRae, Taco Charlton, Ben Gideon, Mo Hurst. Jake Butt, you know, it's like, and they were able to mentor some of the guys that we're going to see or that we're seeing this year and that we're going to see next season. And when you're off, I mean, like half the guys in the 2013 class didn't even make it two years. Right. And, well, look, go, go to 14 and 15 though, Zach. Yeah. And that's really where the bulk of the roster is right now is, you know, just go down the list on 14 of guys who have not lived up to their billing. You know, Harris, obviously. Yeah. I, don't think, I mean, both I those think... classes were kind of lost. 13 wasn't supposed to be lost. Like, on paper, it's a top 10 class. Right, but even, four, the ta- yeah. even, but they still had talent, though. Uh, you know, like I said, you got Harris, Monet, Ferns. I don't think Lawrence Marshall has lived up to his recruiting ranking. Freddie Canteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian Bunting had 25 offers. Uh, Bushel Beatty. Uh, Ways, you know, the... You know, Watson yeah. and Furbush have been okay, but uh, Wangler, Michigan, he had LSU, Penn State. You know, and then you get to 15, you got Cole. You know, I think Gentry <laughs> will eventually. I think Gentry will eventually get there. Well, but you um, know, if they in like regarding the quarterback thing, I mean, what's what's hurting them right now is that they probably needed Malzone or Gentry to be a at least someone that's in the quarterback conversation to push these guys and to give them maybe an option if a series doesn't work. Like, cause if O'Corn struck, I mean, you know, it's either, it's either the true freshman, the redshirt freshman or the fifth year senior, like who are you going to pick if you're Harbaugh, you know, unless, unless it's a game where you can afford to make mistakes, you're going to pick the fifth year senior. Right. Yeah. But keep going. Yeah. Malzone. Uh, I mean, call a spade a spade and say that Ty Wheatley jr. Hasn't lived up to a four-star billing at this point. 
Shelton Johnson, Ruben Jones, <laughs> Keith Washington, Ulysio got his chance. It's not looking good. Uh, Andrew David, you know, was another mystifying scholarship offer by the staff. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, there's definitely, <laughs> yeah. there's no, there's definitely, there, this, this staff definitely deserves some leeway as far as the ho- the roster overhaul that they're going to have to make. But it's just a matter of, you know, you get into next year when you have a full defense returning, you know, are, are guys like Stuber and Filiaga, are they going to be ready to go without any game experience? Yeah. I mean, all your eggs are in that basket right now. Right, just like they were in 13, that's the thing. And like the difference is I think this staff is much more capable of development, um, but there's still that uncertainty, though. So I think that's, in a lot of ways, that's what it comes down to. Well, yeah, I'd argue Michigan is close to, I mean, the problem is just they had no numbers in 2015, and that's that's hurting them a lot right now. Because right now I think they're like 3-for-3 three three or 4-for-4 four four in their offensive line recruits. Not the Not the you know, guys toward the bottom of the barrel, but like the actual guys that they went out and were top targets for, they all seem to be doing well. I mean, Newsom looked good. Uh, um, uh, Bredesen, you know, Anwenu. So, yeah, well, well, I think we've gotten, we, we've gone pretty far down the rabbit hole more than I thought we would. Um, so if our fan, if, if our listeners are still listening, they're the true, true tough people. Let's talk about Rutgers. And you can bring up expectations the rest of the way. Uh, Michigan might as well be eliminated from the Big Ten title aspirations because they need both Penn State and Michigan State to lose three times. And Michigan has to beat everybody. So we're we're not going to talk that. I think, I think it's pretty clear this is kind of a win as many games as you can, stay in the national conversation, maybe sneak into a good bowl and build for next season. But for Rutgers, what needs to happen? I think we are all going to predict Michigan to win. I don't think anyone's calling an upset like that. That would be that would be something. Our podcast would have a lot of listens the next week. But what assuming Michigan wins, what in your mind needs to happen for the game to be considered a win for Michigan? So, you know, maybe you need to see a certain player step up. Maybe you need to see something change. Uh, what, what sort of things are you, would you put down as kind of your, this weekend will be considered a success for Michigan if blank, uh, Isaiah, we'll let you get in here to start us off. Uh, I, what stands out to you? They need to get back to dominating the trenches on both sides of the ball. We haven't really seen it on the offensive side. They looked okay against Indiana, but got to, they really have to be able to to do that on the uh on the offensive side this week because you know they're facing a, a Rutgers team who's bottom of the barrel when it comes to sacks and tackles for losses so they're going to need to be able to keep the quarterback clean in this game if they don't honestly it's a failure because Rutgers 123rd in sacks uh and 129th out of 130 FBS schools and tackles for loss so if Michigan does what they've been doing all season long on the offensive line and play down to the competition. That's not a good look. Uh, on the other side, you just want to see the defense return to what it's been. Yeah. You know, that yeah. Penn, that Penn state game felt like an anomaly. Uh, I think it was probably an anomaly partially based, you know, they're playing a much 
much better team, uh, you know, offensively than they were accustomed to. But I mean, they really, with the exception of that, uh, of that uh, bobbled catch, they really kind of bottled uh, Saquon Barkley after like the first series. <laughs> Outside that, that big bobbled catch and that seventy-yard run and that other run, I, I know what you mean. I mean, yeah, yeah there was I mean, a like point they, they, where Michigan looks good. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I'm trying to say they 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 adjusted to what what was happening. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know, obviously you're not going to have a very good time, you know, dealing with a guy like Saquon Barkley when he's, what you know, when he's running one on one against a linebacker downfield. It's just not. It, I, I don't really care who it was. I know people wanted to cry, you know, to cry Mike McRae there. I don't. I don't know that any of the other linebackers would have been <laughs> in a much better situation one on one against that guy. That guy's just a beast. Yeah. Well. So, yeah. But Saquon you, Barkley. You Saquon Barkley still beat Michigan, though, because the attention paid to him opened everything up for McSorley inside. I mean, that's really, yeah, they bottled him up, but you watch him, watch the flow of the plays that McSorley got big yards on, and it's pretty much because Michigan gave all their attention to Barkley. So, I mean, one of those rare players who is who affects the game even when they're not, like, literally affecting the game with the ball in their hands, so... I don't know if they're going to see that again this year. I don't think, I don't think Dobbins and Barrett, are Jonathan quite... Taylor, might be. But at the same time, they don't. Wisconsin's offense isn't. It's bread and butter. So I mean, it's, it's like Alex Hornibrook is not. You know, I think the game. I think the MVP of that game for Penn State was McSorley for sure. I mean, he just he hit all the throws. You know, I don't know. Anyway, Isaiah, what else were you? What else were you going to say? Well, just I mean, really, really, that's it. I mean, you want to you want to see them to continue to do the things that they're doing well. Obviously, you don't want to see. I thought the secondary was a mixed bag against Penn State, and that the safeties got brutalized by McSorley. I think it was all on McSorley for being able to identify, hey, Gasicki's up against Metellus, duh. Uh, but at the same time, you saw a really good game from both Lavert Hill and David Long, and have that continue, and. Really, just the offense has to look like it's got some kind of pulse against Rutgers. Now, I know Rutgers is much, much improved defense uh, overall. Mm-hmm. They, they're they not the bottom dweller that they were last year. No. But this this is still a game where Michigan has so much more talent. The coaches, regardless of how they've been so far this year, they're, they are better coaches. They need to act like it, put these guys in a position to succeed, which is what they've been saying has been their focus. That's what they've been saying all week. They need to put guys in a position to succeed, and they just need to go out and put their money where their mouth is there. And to me, if they don't just dominate this game, and I'm not saying dominate 78 to nothing, I think that's, you that know, ship that's has sailed, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they, they need to go out and have a, a convincing win, very similar to what you saw it early in the season, with the exception of the offense has to look like it has a, a life beyond that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, my my thing, if I'm putting a number on it, is they need five scoring drives where they they really move the ball. Because you know, I I heard Drevno said yesterday, and he says it probably every. I mean, I guess in his defense, what else are you gonna say? But you know, the offense is really close. You know, they're they're moving, just stay the course, things like that. And I get it, you know, you can't blow the whole ship up, uh, but at the same time, it's clearly not that close. I mean, they they're you know a fluke play or two away from being four and three right now and having a loss to Indiana. 
And and the and the reason why they lost to Michigan State and the reason why they struggled against Indiana because I, I I can look at the Penn State game as an aberration. I know we had to fight fans to convince to convince our our readers that Penn State was good in the fall, but they're they're clearly a good football team and winning in that environment was going to be you know with game day a record crowd record noise you know that was going to be that was that's a whole different argument but you know the Michigan State game and the Indiana game the thing that stood out to me was that they might have some success in one drive and then the next drive something mystifying happens they they throw a pick they fumble it they uh don't they can't complete a pass no one can get open they they you know, blow coverage. It just seemed like there was always something that would prevent them from putting together multiple drives. And it, even though they scored nice points against Air Force in Cincinnati, it was a similar thing where it's like, you know, where you can you can have a good drive here, but where's the next good drive? And as Isaiah alluded to, I mean, this defense for Rutgers, it's probably in the 60 to 70 ranking based on what I can see. Probably, which is toward the bottom of the Big Ten, but it's more like 10th in the Big Ten versus 14th last season. And so I think if the offense, I think the offense will have short field opportunities, it'll have chances to score, and I think it'll have a talent edge in some areas. As you mentioned, they have seven sacks all season, and that's including a game against FCS Morgan State and in Eastern Michigan. You know, they've they've played some cupcakes, and they, they still don't. Eastern Michigan. Right. Right, but but still, you'd think that if your defense can't get a sack on Eastern Michigan, it's not gonna get a sack right. on regular Michigan. That was that was my point. And so, without that pressure, you need your offense. I think if Michigan's going to beat honestly beat Minnesota or Maryland, who have solid defenses for their own part, you need to be able to string multiple drives together and score a touchdown on one drive, and then the next drive get a touchdown or a field goal, and then do it again. And and do it in different ways. You know, you want key players to emerge, but you know, I think it can't just be Karan Higdon runs for 200 yards and you win because you're probably not going to get that against better defenses. Uh, and same same if they pass for a bajillion yards, I don't think. You know, you need you need to score in a lot of different ways, and I think it needs to happen enough times that this offense has confidence, and it also actually has some things that it can go back to in practice and say this is what it means to to have this work well. So Steve, I don't know, you got anything as far as what needs to happen to to consider this a win for Michigan? Just what we kind of you guys talked about. I, I just the offensive line needs to come I think they need to come in and annihilate Rutgers, not just win the battle, but they need to build some I mean, I think these next 3 weeks are really really important for the for this year obviously, but also just for the future in general. Um they, you know, it's, but that's the thing. They've done this in the past against subpar competition. They've, their offensive line, you know, I thought they, I thought, thought the offensive line played their best game of the year against Indiana for the most part, you know, and, uh, no sacks yielded, no tackles for a loss for Indiana. You know, the, the signs were there and then they come in against Penn State and, you know, lay a complete egg. So I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think getting the receivers more involved in the passing game too. It'd be nice to see uh, Peoples Jones maybe have a breakout game. Yeah. Uh, if you're Michigan offensively, Gentry, um, you know, because those are the kind of guys that can could potentially change the game offensively against a Wisconsin or Ohio State. Uh, maybe those two guys in particular too are guys receiving wise can open things up. Here's the thing. 
Here's the other thing, too. We've dogged on the offensive line enough. Michigan's not throwing the ball well enough to force front sevens to even worry about their passing game. So, you know, I think forcing a def- – a, yeah, we can say Rutgers has a legit defense this year. Forcing a legit defense to respect their passing game, I guess, would be a big sign of encouragement um, if you're Michigan, regardless of who's playing quarterback. So, um, you know, if they're content on continuing to throw out O'Corn out there, then I think – if you're looking for progress for the offense as a whole going forward and long term, you want yeah you want to see a situation where they win that they they dominate in the trenches, but also that they can force defenses to respect the passing game a little bit. By the way, I know we've dogged on the offensive line a lot, but there's a stat that I just looked up that blows my mind. Purdue had four sacks on Michigan in, in when they played uh, in September. Do you know how many sacks Purdue has right now through seven games? It's, Six. It's it's well, it's eight, but still, that means they have four right. sacks against uh, Rutgers. They've played Wisconsin, which obviously is tough, but um, you know Ohio, Louisville. I mean, like they've played seven other games and gotten four total sacks, and they got four against Michigan. So that's what that's yeah. what I was going to say about we we're just talking about how you know Rutgers isn't sacking the quarterback <laughs> and tackles for loss. But yeah. that's exa- no, we had that exact same conversation. With you know, Purdue? Into, we absolutely yeah, did. Yeah. Because Purdue looked good going into the game and, the, you know, wondered, like, how can Michigan beat them? It was like, well, they yeah, should be had able to. one sack, yeah. Right. Yeah. They can't get the, the offensive line should know? get a break. Um. Right. And not only did they get four sacks, but they knocked Michigan's starting quarterback out for maybe the year. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's like, well, I know I'm not trying to, again, yeah, not trying to pile on, but if you're Rutgers, you're almost like, hey, this is a team where we might be able to get to the quarterback. I mean, yeah. how, if you're them, how do you not feel that way right now? So, well, the, and their secondary is good. Everyone, they have all their starters and all their two deep players back from last season. Bless you on Austin is is out with injury, but everyone else is back. I'd say that's probably the strength of their team is their their pass defense. Twenty four pass breakups, five picks among their starters. So anyway, let's get to let's get to some lightning round here. Isaiah, we'll start with you. Three and a half carries for Kareem Walker. By the way, these under over unders brought to you by via Azul, a frequent poster. Very helpful to the podcast. But anyway, Isaiah, three and a half carries for Kareem Walker, over or under? I'm gonna go just over. I think he'll get about four or five carries this game, but they intend to play him this game. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense with Jersey and everything. But uh all right, Steve. Brandon Peters enters the game with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter before or after or no appearance. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna say under because I fear for my our safety uh, next week if he doesn't get in before eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. So you're saying so before? Say yeah, I'm gonna say under. I'm gonna say he gets in before there are eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it would be that'd be a long week. Anyway, yeah. uh, mine 199 and a half total rushing yards from your running backs. I'll say over. I'm pretty confident that Rutgers is, as I just mentioned, their pass defense is probably their strength. Uh, maybe they try to stack the box, but I think that they they are a team that Michigan could run on. Isaiah, 79 and a half receiving yards combined from Michigan's tight ends. I'm going to go with the under, uh, just because we've been predicting that they were going to continue to go to their their tight end <laughs> yeah. like the last couple of weeks after like because they because of course it worked for a while and the tight ends were got the passing game going and then the last couple of weeks they forget that they even have them 
So under. Well, I thought I thought last week they targeted them. It just didn't really work out. Anyway, uh, it, to me, it's the same. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Steve, one and a half touchdown passes by Michigan's quarterbacks over under. Uh, I'll say under. I think they, I think they run the ball in a few times. I guess that's probably. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to look similar to some of those blowouts last season. Probably not going to get 10 rushing touchdowns like they did last season. But anyway, one and a half running backs with at least seven, uh, with at least 50 yards rushing, I'll say over. I think I think it'll be Higdon. I think, honestly, I think that you could have three uh, if, if things go the way I think they're going to go. Moving to the defense, Isaiah, two and a half sacks by non-defensive line players. Uh, I'll go under. I say say Bush gets uh, two sacks, and maybe he's the only one. Okay, Steve, one and a half interceptions by Michigan's defense. Over. They should have had two the last two games. Right. Yeah. Their their corners are, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about a position group that's just got things set for the future? They've been good for a long time. Yeah. They're like the opposite of. Agreed. Some of the other groups we've talked about. Uh, five and a half punts by Michigan's punters. I'll say over. I mean, until until they, as I said, until they actually string together drives, uh, probably have to take over on that. Isaiah, 29 and a half yards is Rutgers' longest offensive play. So it, does Rutgers get a play of 30 yards or more? I go under. I think the defense shores up. Looks like the Michigan defense again. Yeah, well, Rutgers not being able to really pass against FBS opponents. Here's a stat for our listeners. Uh, Rutgers has three touchdowns and eight interceptions this season. So not, not a, not much of a passing threat there. Steve four and a half, three and outs forced by Michigan's defense. I, I would assume over. I, I don't think they've be, had under all season. I was going to say, yeah. I think that'd be, come on via. You're better than that. Man. That's, a, <laughs> that's a, no, I'm just, no, <laughs> I, I'd say over for sure though. Okay. Uh, two and the a half. One, the next one's an easier one to answer, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, two and a half threads started about Harbaugh needing to be fired on the board if we if Michigan somehow loses to Rutgers. Well, obviously, that would be over. I, you know, I don't know if it'll be Har- Harbaugh fired, but I imagine unless it's like a forty-two nothing bullying. I imagine we'll still have three or more threads about how things are are looking sour um, from from our listeners, which we love the passion. We you know that's the whole point of the message board is to to share your your thoughts and your views. Um, but but yeah, I imagine that will be an over. <laughs> but, but, but yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's go around. Uh, we're gonna save our bold predictions for since we don't really have time to research them when we do these podcasts, we're going to save them for the prediction thread that we do be on the lookout for at michigan.247sports.com. But we are going to do predicted MVP and uh, the final score. Isaiah, let's start with you. Uh, MVP, again, going to have to go defensive side of the ball. I'm just going to go with... I'm just going to go with Rashawn Gary. I think he's really starting to kind of come into his own more and more. He and has had some good being, games, yeah. Playing against the hometown team, I think it's a big game for him. Uh, and final score, I got Michigan 31, Rutgers 10. Okay, 31-10 you said? 
Yep. I think we're all going to be in the same ballpark now. All right, Steve, what do you think? Uh, MVP be, uh, I'll say Higdon again. I just think he's, he's continued to kind of seize that job. Um, and I do think they answer the bell to an extent, but again, part of it is because they're playing an inferior opponent. I think in a way, I think fans will be like some, you'll have some fans will be mad after the game because I think that they're going to look effective and people will be like, well, where was this again? <laughs> you know, a <laughs> little you know different. I mean? Yeah, no, I, right. I think so. Yeah. Uh, final score. I'm going to say 38 to see it's already different than what I sent you for the picks. Uh, 38 to like 13 is kind of the popular. I'll say 14. I say, I think it, that would be a, that would be a draw on the cover. I think it's still at 24 right now. So I'll say 38, 14. Yeah, I've gone back and forth. Uh, I was going to say Higdon. I will say, I'll say Ty Isaac gets back in there as well. He's had he's had some good runs the past couple games. I think he breaks free uh, for his second touchdown, despite all the yards he has. Uh, hasn't been able to get the the end zone. So I think I think he has a good game. My score, oh, uh, I I think I I'm gonna. Go low on the offense, uh, despite despite I said 34-10 on the show today. I'm lowering it. I'm gonna say 30 to seven is my prediction, and I think it's gonna be a game. You know, as you, I don't know if they're gonna be as effective as Steve thinks, even though it's only an eight-point difference. I think I think it's gonna be one of those games where people are still looking at this team and saying, what what is the deal? Why did it take you so long to get to 30 points against Rutgers? But 37 is my prediction. Anyway, that's going to do it. We went long today. For the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, be sure to check out all of our stories about Rutgers, basketball, recruiting, uh, more football, uh, even maybe even some hockey as we head into the, to November. Big Ten play starting for the Michigan hockey team. They looked pretty good last week, so we'll see. Anyway, be sure to check out all of our stories there. For Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull on the phone lines, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time.